That's, of course, it was a good verse. But anyway, we're in chapter seven, verse seven through eleven, and uh, let's read this together, and we'll we'll see what we can receive from God through it. Jesus says, "Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you." For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son or his daughter asking for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So it's interesting that that, that uh, Jesus just doesn't make any, he doesn't mince his words, he Tells us who we are. We're evil, right? I mean, that's near the end, but we're we're evil. But He's good, and that's why the that's why the gospel is good because it comes from God. Anyway, we'll look at that a little bit more in a, in a second. This is a in this portion of the scripture. It's it's almost like uh, if you if you took this short passage out of context, it would seem like God's just a you know a heavenly sugar daddy, and whatever you want, just ask Him. You know, and if you're persistent at it, you're going to get it, right? And there's a lot of verses like that in the New Testament, you know, that, that seem like in, out of context that whatever you want, you just ask God. And so that kind of perversion, which is a perversion, and out of context of the, the whole Bible, uh, has created a lot of problem for a lot of people. It causes people to give up on God because they pray for something that they really want. They really want. You ever really wanted something? I wanted a three-speed bicycle when I was 12, you know, and I really wanted that. I gave a lot of hints, and, and I got it. Yeah. But God doesn't always give the three-speed bicycle. He doesn't always give us what we want. And the whole impact of the Sermon on the Mount is that we're living for someone, something other than ourselves, that we're to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to us. And so Jesus does give this tremendous promise, as he does in all of the Gospels, and we see it acted out in his own life, but it's a, it's a promise that is in the context of God being glorified, his will being accomplished. And so maybe, you know, there's so many places in the Bible that, that speak to this issue, but the best one here, or the one that just kind of sprang up my mind last night was Psalm 37. If you take delight in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. But that is the caveat. That is the upfront commitment. We have to really delight ourselves in the Lord, then he will give us the desires of our heart because he begins this work and does a tremendous work of transforming our hearts, which transforms our desires. So we can't just go to God and say, you know, I really like this or that. And I remember hearing a testimony from John Wimber, the founder of Vineyard Christian Fellowship, and when he got saved, he was a successful musician. He traveled with the Righteous Brothers. He wrote music for them, played in their band, you know, and was really up-and-comer, and, and he met Jesus... And when that happened, and if you can think back to when you really realized that you were a child of God, what a, what a powerful revelation to belong to God as a child and He is your Father. And so he was like any kid. He just started asking God for all this stuff, you know, all these things that he needed, that, that he needed in his life, you know, relationally, materially, and everything. And so some guy was talking to him about his his newfound relationship with God, and he said, man, I've become a Christian, and God's doing everything I tell him to do. 
remember that kind of period in your life where it just seemed like everything was coming up roses, you know? Everything seemed to be ordered perfectly, and you couldn't wait to get up in the morning when you went to bed at night. You thought, but the rapture's going to happen tonight if there is the pre-trib rapture, and I'm going to be with Jesus, you know, when I wake up. And everything just kind of lined up. It's kind of a honeymoon period, or even pre-honeymoon period, you know? But that's not the reality of a relationship with anybody, is it? That they always do what we want them to do. Which is a good thing, really, you know. But especially with, with with relationship to God, so Jesus is is speaking to us about this idea of coming and asking Him. But it's in the context of who He is, what He's done, and the reality that He's already said a lot of stuff in this sermon that's very important to us. So He's talking again to people that have come to grips with who they are. They're spiritually impoverished. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You know, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Bless those who mourn. So the people that are like that, when they come to God, they're, they're asking what they're seeking is really something different than the world's seeking. They're seeking wholeness. They're seeking healing. They're seeking more. They're, they're seeking a transformation in their life. They're, they're seeking to be, uh, as Keith Green sang in the 1970s, you know, I want to be more like Jesus. That's, that's their prayer. I want to be more like him, you know. And so their whole worldview has changed. Their whole personal view has changed. They see God for who He is. He's to be glorified. He is beautiful in His holiness. He is desirable. They desire Him, and then they look at themselves, and they understand who they are. And what's going to collapse the distance between what God's called them to be and where they are now? So Jesus begins teaching this Sermon on the Mount, and He says, Okay, those people that are pursuing me who are hungry and thirsting for righteousness they're going to be satisfied and this righteousness is going to be lived out and it's going to look like this they're going to forgive people that offend them you know they're going to give more than's asked of them they're not they're not going to be offended by people that despitefully use them and we're going and so that stuff starts happening to us after the honeymoon period you know it starts happening to us we get used we get lied to we get abused the adversary attacks us you know and we don't have the wherewithal to come back and jesus says unless you forgive the way you're forgiven you know in, in the immediate context is don't judge well here we find ourselves judging what are we going to do well, if you ask and you seek and you're not, if you are persistent, if you're importunate, and Jesus told a lot of stories about importunate prayers, about persistent prayers. He even says it right in the first prayer that he gives us. He says, give us this day our daily bread. So daily we're coming to God for sustenance. We're appealing to him. We're seeking him because we see this tremendous distance between what God's called us to be and where we are now. If we don't see that, we haven't even begun the journey. I heard a Baptist evangelist one time who had been a Christian for a long time, who had built a great ministry and who was a very gracious man. And he, as he was preaching, he said, when I got saved, I knew I needed to be saved. He said, now I really know I needed to be saved. Because the closer we get, the, the more clearly we see God, the more we understand how desperate we are to be transformed into his likeness because the distance between what he's called us to be which is to be conformed to the image of jesus and where we are now is really infinite it will take an eternity to fully grasp the reality of all that jesus is for us and all that he intends for us to become so eternity will be long won't it because we've got a lot of steps to take but because of jesus this is the mystery in it that we're we're already holy, we're already righteous, and yet 
we're working out our salvation with fear and trembling. But we've got to be persistent about this. And it's so easy in this age, and Jesus talks about it in the, in the sermon about not being anxious. It's so easy in this age to be drawn off to one side or the other and, and quit the hot pursuit of Jesus. Or it's just easy sometimes when the pursuit doesn't seem that hot to just say, well, it's not that important. You know, I was reading again this. For years and years, I've read the Bible through every year. So this year, again, I'm, I'm reading the Bible through last week, as a matter of fact. And I was in Joshua. And some of Joshua's really excited in it. And then you get to where Joseph has the land assigned to him from this rock that's over there to that tree to this, you know. And there's chapter of verse, and you're going, man, a real sleeper God. You know? Now, the problem's not with God's Word. The problem's with me. But I just, I don't know about you, but I don't get a lot out of that. I've never heard a sermon preached on the property boundaries of Joseph in the promised land. I know the, I know the intent behind that. I mean, part of it. I know, that, I know the, the intent behind that, that God has given us lines drawn in pleasant places that he's given us an inheritance. But reading the actual things that archaeologists cannot even locate now, that, that's not thrilling. It doesn't do a lot for me. You know what I mean? And to keep my mind meditating on what the intent is behind that, that's difficult for me. And some days I think, well, I just don't even think I'll read. I didn't get anything yesterday. No, i got to read. Because all of Scripture points to Jesus, and Jesus is what I'm after. So I have to be persistent, even though some days it's like wading through molasses with weights on my ankles. You know what I mean? But if we don't ask, if we don't seek, if we don't knock, if we're not important, if we don't go to God daily, if we don't go to God always, we'll drift off. And we'll begin to think that life is about something else. About the big retirement package, you know, about gaining this piece of property, about doing that. And all of a sudden we're like what Howard says. we got these storage buildings with all this stuff and we're going to use it one of these days. No, and our kids are going to be mad when they got to get rid of it and we die. We're not going to use it. But we keep accumulating this stuff in life that means nothing really, you know. And it's all because we forgot to, to seek and to ask and to knock because Jesus says that his Father will give to us what we ask. But our heart has to be changed. The only way that we get our heart changed is being in the presence of God. That's it. And so worship's a part of that. Music in worship's a part of that. Giving's a part of that. But there's nothing more primary than our relationship with God in prayer. There's nothing more primary. There's nothing more basic than that having come into the kingdom. That is bedrock, really. And so our prayer life becomes, you know, the, the real testament of who we are. It's not what we do on Sundays. It's not how good we can teach or sing or take up the offering, you know, or do the behind-the-scenes work or any of that kind of stuff. That's not the real bedrock. That's not the essence of who we are. It's how we relate to God. We relate to God primarily in prayer. And all the other stuff should be an encouragement to that, you know, and encourage us in that and draw us into corporate prayer and all that so we can relate to God so that when we leave, you know, we have our focus refreshed, strengthened. And we're able to go out and do the things that God says to do because he says, forgive those that despitefully use you. Well, I don't want to do that. But I do it because I've been infused. You know, I've received again. I've been reminded of, of Jesus' commands, what he's called me to. So, so I just want to look at some four points here as we consider this. And, and I've already kind of covered this. We have a continually daily realization of our need and God's provision. He's sufficient. I like the way Paul says, uh, who is sufficient for these things? He says, we're not. 
But we have this transcendent power in earthen vessels. Can you do that? I don't know what causes that. You know what causes that, Stan? Oh, it's a, yeah, it's something in the auditorium probably. So the sufficiency of God is, is what we need, and this never changes. We're always insufficient. We don't ever gain real sufficiency. Did y'all, uh, anybody take Christianity Today or read it periodically? They had a, an edition just on Billy Graham, this last issue, his testimonies of his family life, of you know, how he got started, about how he did with his finances, just all different aspects of looking at Billy Graham and, and uh, just, a, just an amazing Amazing take. You know, all the biographies of Rittenhammer are good. You know, I've read several of those in the last several years. But, but he, he just, he always understood that he was, uh, was not sufficient. And always when he got to the platform, almost always say, isn't there somebody else that can do this? There's somebody that can do it better, you know? God, don't you have somebody else? He always realized that he had to lean into Jesus. He had to go to Christ to get the sufficiency he needed to do what he was doing. And, and we all have that same need. This never changes. We don't ever grow up. You know, Billy Graham almost made 100. But he never grew out of his reliance, his dependence, his necessity of going to Jesus to receive grace, to receive mercy. That's why the invitation comes. Come to the throne of grace where you can receive grace and mercy to help in a time of need. And that's, that's our life. We're in a time of need all the time. So we daily realize this and we ask, we seek, we knock. I like uh, Moses. Now Moses had a, Moses was like if you look down over a kind of a, a, a plane of Old Testament characters, Moses had to be head and shoulders above everybody. I mean, this guy is just very dynamic, you know, all because God called him and raised him up. And so he had this relationship where, where God even spoke and said, you know, I visit with other people, you know, kind of through smoke and mirrors. But with Moses, my servant, I visit face to face. And he had this little tent just for himself, the tent of meeting. He'd go outside the camp and he'd meet there with God, come out with a veil on his face because his face would be glowing. That'd be kind of scary. You know, when you come around people and think you're radioactive or something. And so he'd put this on there so they wouldn't notice the glory departing from having been with God. And so Moses has experienced all this. He's seen Pharaoh kowtow to the holy authority of God. He's seen the Red Sea opened when he holds his staff out. He's touched the rock and water sprung up to, to water two and a half to four million people plus all their livestock. You know, he's seen all this, this stuff happen and transpire. And it comes to Exodus chapter 33 and he's receiving the Ten Commandments and he said, Oh Lord, if I've received grace from you, here's what I've come to ask for. More grace. You'd think, well, gee, Moses, haven't you had enough? But the, the human heart's appetite for God is insatiable, and the Christian has begun to understand that appetite can only by, be fulfilled by more of who Jesus is, more of God in my life. That's the only thing that will satisfy. And so, again, we have all these eddy currents in life, you know. That's why the Bible says, do all that we do to the glory of God, which is to bring a focus back on everything that we're doing, our, you know, our entertainment, our expenditures, our relationships, everything. God says, bring that under the umbrella. This, this is where to really be blessed. This is where I'll really be glorified when you understand this and when you appeal to me for this. So we come to God and we need grace, don't we? 
We need more grace. And we get grace upon grace. And where our sin abounds, there's more grace. Well, we've got to go and ask for it. We've got to seek for it. We've got to knock because it's not going to come to those that just sit around and say, well, it'll happen. It'll, no, it won't happen. It's got to be from those who've been called into the kingdom. It's got to be an asking, a seeking, a knocking. It's got to be a constant in their life. So here we are. Jesus giving these instructions. And your Father in heaven, Heavenly Father, will give you what you ask for. Because you know how we are as parents. We can, you remember when you were a kid, you could wear your parents down, usually? You just wear them down. Or sometimes you didn't even have to wear them down. They were just generous, you know. But sometimes you might have to wear them down on something. And they're evil. And they still have the best in mind for us. But because they're not perfect, they don't always see. If you think about it, there are probably times in your life where you look back and you say, man, I'm glad God didn't give me what I asked for. There are those times, seasons, you know, man, I'm glad that didn't transpire. I thought that would have been perfect. But it turns out that wouldn't have been good for me. That wouldn't have been what I needed. And because God is perfect, as he changes our heart's desires, then the timing comes along and he gives us what we've been asking for. So Jesus says, consider this. Consider that I'm sufficient, you're not. I know what's right. I know what's good. And I'm asking you to come to me so that you'll be transformed until your desires are match my desires. So God's the father of those in Christ. Because he says this. He says, your father in heaven. Not everybody's a child of God. That really goes against the grain of culture, doesn't it? Even our culture. But not everybody's a child of God. Jesus came to his own. His own didn't receive him. Well, who are Jesus' own? Well, the earth and the fullness thereof and all the people in it. That's who's God's. And he comes to those and they reject him. But to those who did receive him, who believed on his name, he gave the right, the authority to become sons and daughters of God. Not to those who are born of the flesh or the will of man, but of the Spirit of God. Only those who have been born again. Only those who have come to Jesus and received him when he called. Only those are the sons and daughters of God. You must be born again. It's not enough to be born once. You know, a Bible school director, I don't know where he got this saying. I'm sure it's in in antiquity somewhere. But he said, if you're born once, you die twice. But if you're born twice, you only die once. It's by the birth of the Spirit that we become children of God and have the right, the authority. Those that Jesus is speaking to are children of God. They're not just the people in general. It's not just the world. You know, the world looks at the Sermon on the Mount and says, oh, that's some nice principles. Let's try to live by those. Well, you can see how well they're doing, right? If it's difficult for us, but we can do it by faith, it's impossible for those who are not born of the Spirit of God. It is impossible to live by this sermon. There's not even a desire to do it. There's no desire to live the way that Jesus calls us to live unless the Spirit of God is in us because He's changed our appetites. He's changed our desires. And so those who receive Him, who believe on His name, He gives the right to become sons and daughters of God. And we cry, O Father... Hear my cry. Change me. And then give me what it is I need. So we're happy to leave the result with him. That's a good place to be, isn't it? God, that you order all things. You're a good, sovereign, benevolent. You're a providential father. You order all things together for those who love you. And our love's not perfect, but we love God. Where did we get that? His love has been shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Spirit. People don't love God. That's why they don't come to church. You wonder why people don't go to church? Some people go to church for the wrong reason, obviously. But the people that go, that go for the right reason, they go because they love God. 
That's why the world doesn't go to church. They don't love God. Maybe they had not heard of God yet. There's a lot of people who heard of God and they don't want to go to church. They don't come to the light because to come to the light is to get exposed. So they stay away. But we come to church. We come to church. We love God. Even on a bad day, we go, I'm going to church because I love God. I love His people. And so our heart's been changed. So these requests then are made to the children of God, not to those in general, not to the people in the world. So God is immutable. He is perfect. Our parents weren't perfect. We're not perfect parents. But with God, who is the Father of lights, there's no shadow or variation due to change. And every good gift and every perfect endowment comes from God, who never changes. Boy, that's wonderful news, isn't it? That He doesn't change. Have you all changed any? I'm wearing these things right here, and things are sticking right here. I didn't used to have to do that. What, what is the, the disease of old men, Biff? What is it? Uh, Chest and drawers. Is it your chest goes down to your drawers, you know? And we, so we're, we're changing. We change physically, don't we? And, and nobody changes really in the long term physically for the better, do they? Nobody does that. Oh, look how lifeless they look. No, they're dead as a hammer, you know? Go to a funeral. Mike goes to lots of funerals. And the people come by and, oh, don't they look so lifelike? No, they look dead. So nobody, in the long term, nobody improves. And not even Arnold Schwarzenegger. He had to have open heart surgery this week, you know. But on the inside, those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ are being renewed daily. You know, we're getting better in character. Our chest is coming up out of the drawers. You know, our heart is being enlarged. It's being transformed. This is God's calling on our life. And it's all from the Father of lights with whom there is no shadow or variation due to change. He gives every good gift, every perfect endowment, everything that you and I have ever enjoyed, ever done that's good to the glory of God. Where did that come from? From the Father, our Father. And there's no shadow of turning with Him. Boy, that's good, isn't it? He just does not change. We go to him today. We ask for grace. We come back, ask for grace the next day. And say, what did you do with what I gave you yesterday? He says, here, have some more grace. Have some more mercy. Here, have the goodness of my endowment of life. And so he doesn't change. And so we're, we're, we're in good shape. We're in better than good shape. We're, we're growing in grace and knowledge. So God's immutable. He's, he's perfect. And reading this sermon and just reading the Bible in general, we find out that these good gifts are discovered, they're realized in the difficulty of life. So if you think when everything's going good, I know everybody's thought about this and everybody's heard it said, but when everything's going good, we have a tendency to kind of let down our guard, don't we? Not seek God, maybe, quite so intently. But God doesn't change. And circumstances in this life are are not good. The kingdom of God has not come. His will has not been done. It's not completed. There's still conflict going on. And so when things are going good, lots of times we just, we don't really bother to pray. We don't really bother to seek God. But when things get bad, when life is difficult, then we begin to seek God, don't we? So last week, when I, last week, about Friday night or something, I well, I couldn't sleep. I had this tremendous pain in my back, shooting up into my left shoulder, you know. I'd had the same thing a, a year ago, and so I took my gallbladder out. 
I thought, oh, that's perfect. And then I had the same thing. And so naturally I get on Google. Don't you? Do you Google? You used to say, do you Yahoo? No, you know it anymore. Do you Google? So I Google it, you know, and, and it says, pancreatitis. I thought, good grief. Well, that kind of focuses my attention on calling out to God, you know, when you're afflicted. Whether it's financially, physically, relationally, you know, morally, whatever, whatever it is that's rocking our boat, when we have a difficult time in life, we're prone to call out to God. When we find out that it's really hard for us not to pass judgment, not to look at the little splinter in somebody's eye, when we've got this big beam of pride in our own eye, when we find that, dear God, help me, he says, ask and seek and knock. And your Father who sees, he will reward you with renewed character, with greater mercy. So you think about these, these, this great stuff that we're praying for. Basically, it just comes down to the fact we're saying, I want to be more like Jesus. I want to be more like Him. I want to be more forgiving. I want to be more truth-speaking. I want to be more affirmative. I want to be more kind. I want to be patient with people and circumstances. I want to be more like Jesus. And so all the conflicts and difficulties in life show us where we have need. And so we go to God. We ask for grace. We ask for mercy. And so there's so many places... To look at this in Scripture, but this is, you know, there's this great promise in First uh, John. I've got that passage written down there on that last point, and it says, "I write this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life." That's a good thing to know, isn't it? I write this letter. That's in that neat little First John five little chapters. I write this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Because it's not the natural state of things for us to be constantly assured of our relationship with God. So John, the old apostle on the Isle of Patmos, writes to us, reminding us of everything he's been through and from the perspective of all he's suffered. I want you to know, if you believed on Jesus, you have eternal life. And eternal life means eternal It means it starts at the moment that we encounter Christ Jesus, and it doesn't end. It never ends. And it only gets better, especially when this one is totally collapsed and we get the new body. But he wants us to know that, and he says, And if we ask anything according to his will, we know that he has heard us, and because we know that he has heard us, we know that we have the things that we've asked of him. Now that's some great assurance in prayer, isn't it? That if we pray according to the will of God, we know He hears us. Well, where can we get a hold of the will of God? Isn't that something? That we have a whole book made of 66 books with 40 authors authored over about 1,200 years. Here is the will of God. How can I know the will of God? It's right here. And so we take this to ourselves. We ask God, oh God, show me. Show me, God. Give me wisdom and counsel, oh Lord. This is living and active. And in this word, you wash and rinse and transform me, God. You sanctify me wholly with your word. Your word is truth. Sanctify me with this word. Change me. Transform me. Oh God, I'm asking. But I've got to take some time to watch the final four. Can you watch the final four? And still seek God? Sure you can. Sure you can. But you can't just say, well, I'm really asking, I'm really seeking, but I'll have to do it later. 
No, it's got to be always. We have to always be mindful of God. And the more mindful we are, the more we live in His presence knowingly, the more we appreciate His life in us, His grace toward us, His mercy He's given. And so we ask, we seek, because we ask anything according to His will. Now Jesus came to the Father. This is recorded in Psalm chapter 2. And the Father even gives Him the invitation, which He does to us likewise in a similar fashion. He says, ask me, Son, and I will give you the nations as your inheritance. Can you hear God saying, ask me for my kingdom to come and my will be done? And it will be done. Ask me for that. And so we come and we begin to ask and we seek and we knock and we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And because he is gracious and he's merciful, we keep on coming. We keep on coming. We keep on asking. And God is hearing those prayers and he will give us his will. It will be accomplished. His will is manifold. But it always focuses like a laser on this, that he will be glorified. He will be glorified. His will will be accomplished. His will will not be thwarted. And he invites us to participate in seeking that and being satisfied in the seeking of his will because that becomes our food. It is our food. It's what sustains us really as, as sons and daughters of the living God. And so John says, you know, if we pray according to the will of God, we know he hears us. We know he hears us. And so Jesus prayed. Jesus prayed, and you remember, when, you know, the, the, the prayer life of Jesus is one of the focal points of the Gospel of Luke. But when Jesus comes up out of the water, it says, And as he was praying, the heavens were opened. And then the Holy Spirit descended. And so as we are praying, the heavens are opened in the name of Jesus. They're opened to us. We have the ear of God. He hears our voice. We're praying. He's not just up there going, Good grief, what a boring prayer. Because sometimes I think my prayers are boring, you know what I mean? I'm there praying, okay, God, I'm praying for this missionary right here. God, I pray, I've just read this in the Word of God, that, Lord, that, that you want us to have the strength in the inner person to know the length, the breadth, the height, and the depth of your love. God, I need the strength to know that. I want to be filled up with the fullness of who you are. And, oh, God, here's this missionary. And so I pray that. And one day it feels pretty hot, you know what I mean? And the next day, that same truth of the immutable God who is perfect and never changes. Some days it just feels so cold to me. Does that, make, does that mean that God has changed? No, it means that I change up and down, up and down. But I continue asking, seeking, knocking, praying according to the will of God that I might have a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of God, that I might know what is the hope of my calling, what are the glorious riches of Christ that are in me by the, God, by the Father's purpose, and what is His great power directed toward me, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Yeah. Wow, don't you want to know those things? Well, some days I feel pretty hot and heavy about that. you know. And when I preach, I get kind of excited about it. But other times it's like, what's for supper? But God doesn't change. And so he says, listen, don't be so changeable. Keep coming. Keep asking. Keep seeking. Because here's this life described, defined in the Sermon on the Mount. And we go, wow, what a, what a powerful life that is. To be a forgiving, generous person. Not to be anxious in anything. Knowing that my Heavenly Father will take care of all of that. Not to be drawn aside by sin, by adultery, by greed, by pride. But being focused on the Father and receiving from Him every good gift. Every perfect endowment. Every spiritual blessing of adoption, of redemption. Of forgiveness, of wisdom, of power. All of these things. All of these riches where Jesus is seated at the right hand. And I'm seated there with Him. 
What an amazing thing. All of this. What a life is this. And then if I look at my life, I go, I don't think I'm full yet. I don't think I've measured up to that yet. Well, what seems to be the problem? Is the problem that God has changed? No, God does not change. He is immutable. He's the perfect Father. He gives every good gift, every perfect endowment. The problem becomes on our end where we stop asking and seeking and knocking. That's the problem. That's the problem. And whatever the adversary can do to pull back, pull you back and cause you to think, well, I'm just not worthy. I'm just not where I can't do it. I don't have the stamina. I don't have the wherewithal. We know the will of God. And the will of God is this, that every person that comes to him, he receives and he'll never cast them out. The problem becomes we listen to the voice of this age. We listen to the voice of the adversary and we stop asking and seeking and knocking. But our Heavenly Father knows what we need. He knows what we need and he always gives us what's according to his will. And what is according to his will is what really, really we're here for and what really and only will satisfy us. So we need to be people who are going, God, I need some mercy. I need grace. God, we can pray like Moses. Father, if I've received grace, since I've received grace, give me more grace. Give me more grace, God. I want to be more like Jesus. So let's pray. Father, again, we, we come to you, God. We, we pray again for grace. And God, we, we do it according to your will. You said that in Christ Jesus, we receive grace upon grace. Grace and truth came in him. He's revealed who you are to us. He never turned aside anyone who cried out to him. And all of those that came to him, he received, never rejecting them. So, Father, we come to you. We come to you because your Son has come for us. We come to you, Holy Spirit. We pray that you would fill us, refresh us, renew and strengthen us. And, oh, God, that when you fling us out in the world, we would not forget in our success, God, in our obedience, that it's all because of your grace in us. It is none of us, God, and all of you. Help us to be vessels, Lord, filled with transcendent power. God, that display your goodness, your grace. Praying at all times, giving thanks in all things, God, glorifying you. Father, may your kingdom come and your will be done in us 